are listening to Omnis Protocol. I'm Charles, also known as Omnis, and I'm here with Norbert, or as we love to endearingly refer to him, Dr. Norbert. Welcome <laughs> to the show, sir. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's so great to talk to you again. It's been too long. Absolutely. This has been really fun to reconnect with some of my favorite people from the War Machine and outer wargaming community. So I'm glad we get to uh, talk shop again. Yeah, it's great how gaming can continue to bring us uh, people together. Right. Like I first met you on the East Coast for a Temple Con, but now you're living on the other side of the water. Uh, you're London based now, correct? That's right. I'm in London. Yep. Uh, eight years now. Man, it feels like it's been forever. <laughs> I know, right? We're both playing Marvel Crisis Protocol. I've been really enjoying following your Twitter and like seeing all of your different paint jobs and stuff that you've been posting. So I was like, man, Dr. Norbert and I need to record. Yeah, yeah. It's been really great. Um, kind of just feels like a renaissance for me in terms of uh, the game that I'm playing right now. Exactly. And I think both you and I are not known for being top tier painters. We we like to have very painted armies, but yep. you and I both you know do a lot of washing and that sort of thing. And yeah. it, this this game in particular has definitely raised my skill level for painting, and I'm enjoying it a lot. Yeah, I agree. Uh, it has an entirely different aesthetic from the War Machine I'm used to painting, um, and it's a single models. So I couldn't use the usual wash type technique that I used to do um, because it just wasn't uh, wouldn't work with the kind of the poppy colors and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So I've been trying all kinds of different approaches to to do it just as fast, but um, more give the rank the more look that I wanted for these models. And you're right. I, the reason I post up those models, even though they're not like high caliber paint jobs, is just to show people that they they can do these models really quickly and they'll, they'll look actually pretty decent on the table. And so it's hopefully encouraging people to do it. Well, honestly, it's great timing that this game comes out as contrast paints mm. have become more and more popular, which I think contrast paints are really designed for painters like you and I that you know want to take that kind of wash concept. But yeah. now we want to do it with some brighter colors and that sort of thing. I know it's more glazing, but... For for any of the medium skilled painters, this kind of stuff is just magic. So, yeah, I would if I didn't already have a massive paint collection, uh, I would totally buy into contrast paints because I think they do exactly what you're talking about, and it would make my life even easier than it is. Well, honestly, this whole thing actually leads into our topic that we want to discuss. Marvel Crisis Protocol and the kind of style of game that it is, and yeah. I, I mean, I. For starters, I just got to praise Atomic Mass Games because when I when I can talk about this to people, it's really easy to say you would totally buy the core set and just have a great board game. You get assemble the models, whether you want to paint them or not, and it is mm -hmm. a great board game experience. And you get a ton of stuff for a hundred bucks. Yeah, and it's probably better than most board games that you'll buy. Probably better than two, you know, pick up two board games. The replayability, the different crisis that you can play, it's super fun. And a pretty wide age range can play it. Yeah. So you can play it as a board game. You can also play it just kind of casually. Just pick up the models that you really like. You you really like the Wakandan models. You really like the Asgard models. And everything is viable. There is, there is no bad models at this time. And so if you're just playing games with your friends or family you can play just about anything you want and have a great game with it. Yeah. And then the sculpts are all fantastic. So if you're a hobbyist, I could absolutely 100% pe see people buying into this stuff. Star-Lord 
is mm-hmm. amazing. I am so looking forward to painting this guy. <laughs> they they are knocking the sculpts out of the park, and it's really easy to even like talk to my coworkers about it more so than say some of the other games that I've played. You show someone this cool new model, like, hey, check out Thor, and everybody knows who they are, and they can see the, how cool the model is. And yep. so if you're a hobbyist, it's great too. But then comes in the big question, and I remember being at Las Vegas Open and was talking to a lot of other co- competitive players from the war machine community Uh and the Warhammer community. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Um, and the big question that comes up is how viable is the game as a competitive game? It's got a very different dice mechanic. And at the time I didn't want to answer the question. I straight up said, I'm like, Hey guys, I'm in the honeymoon phase with this game. (laughs) This is not the time for me to answer this question because I'm loving sinking my teeth into this new, totally different, um, tactical approach And I need more time to be able to honestly answer that question. Yeah. Now I'm starting to get out of the honeymoon phase and I think I'm ready to talk about it. And (laughs) you have been so evolved in tournament organizing and event running and seeing, you know, the tactical competitive side of gaming explode. And so this I was really excited to talk about this with you. It's 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 a great topic, um, and it needs to be discussed now to a certain degree. And it's timely because I'm actually going to be holding uh, my first crisis event in um, London uh, tomorrow. As it turns out, that is so cool. What can you? What's the game store that's going to be at? Um, it's a newer place in East London called Rule Zero. Rule zero. Rule zero. You know, like you know, like always it. be nice to each other, kind of. A thing. <laughs> no, it makes and, sense. Yeah, and it uh, looks like I sold 15 out of the 16 tickets that were on sale. And uh, apparently what's happened is is that this they're, they're right next to the Olympic Park, where the Olympic Stadium is. And uh, there's been some Cree activity around the stadium. And so there's, <laughs> there's this crisis in Olympic Park that uh, oh. we are having superheroes descend on the area to take care of that problem. I love it. I love it. <laughs> If we uh, weren't having so much trouble with uh, flights in and out of the country right now, I would uh, throw on my Star-Lord gear and come over. Yeah, well, we got uh, a couple of Quinjets on the way. It'll be oh, fine. Sweet. <laughs> so what are your initial thoughts? You've been playing now for a bit. Obviously, we've got this interesting dice mechanic, um, yeah. and there's a little bit more dice variability here than than your average game, like, say, War Machine or something. But sure. there's so many aspects of the game that, are not based on dice, pushes, throws, things like that. Um, what's your What's your initial take on MCP as a tournament viable game? I think there's absolutely no reason it can't be a competitive game. Uh, I think it's been set up in a very tight manner. I think the company has wanted to keep it a little less competitive, just in terms of some kind of those like small rules uh, or the way that they're suggesting the game be played is, but. Um, I think that's just because they're trying to keep a certain vibe and inclusive thing uh, to it uh, for the like a bigger group of gamers. But after that, you know, if people like us want to try to develop a set of rules that kind of just um, tweak things a little bit, uh, not in terms of the mechanics, but rather just how you approach the game, um, I, I don't see why it wouldn't. I think the biggest problem is uh, timekeeping with this type of game. And I think there's a whole separate talk we're going to get into. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, Yeah. That's probably the biggest problem for turning this into a competitive event. Yeah. So I want to elaborate on now, obviously I don't work for atomic mass games, even though I'm Seattle based. So I see some of the staff regular regularly. 
and I don't really want to speak for them, but my personal opinion is that they have a very, our first goal is that people are having fun playing the game right. and that's totally fine. But I don't think that is an aversion to tournament play. I mm. think it's just, they have probably decided as a company that their first focus is, is just that people are having fun playing this game. And that yeah. is the drive right now. And they, as opposed to some games like uh, Keyforge comes out, right? And immediately mm. Keyforge has tournaments. And that's that's a strategy with that particular game, which is right. great. Not saying that either avenue is wrong, but yeah. their focus is we just want to have people having a superhero feel and having fun with it. And since a lot of the AMG staff worked for Privateer Press beforehand, they know that the competitive community, like the tournament community, is happy to organize events. So if they yeah. want to do something, they don't really need AMG to make that happen. Yeah. The the mini gaming, the war gaming community that wants to push, you know, little war, you know, war dollies around the table, <laughs> uh, or in this case, super dollies, you know, we're going to make that stuff happen. That's my personal opinion. That's not that they're anti tournament or anti-competitive scene. It's just that they know, you know, if the game can support that sort of thing, the community will do that. But let's yeah. make sure that people are having fun first and foremost. Would you yep. you think you feel like that's accurate? Is there any part of this stuff that you feel like I'm maybe misreading things? Nope. That's exactly how I feel about it. So based on the way they're answering questions on the for on uh, Facebook and um, the way they, they design certain elements of the, the game uh, and just like the approach to crisis events as like their main organized play thing right now i think all uh, you, you summed it up exactly perfect well i try not to get stuff wrong it happens i can't avoid it sometimes <laughs> but... um so i think for because there's been multiple competitive players i'm not to start calling them all out by name but there's been some people that i've met over the years that i'm actually hoping will hop into marvel crisis protocol so there's been some private messages and i was talking with someone and they they felt like it was a bit clunky at first. And I was like, well, here, I'll, huh. I'll even build some teams for you. And okay. I understand how someone could play the core set. And in a lot of situations, you could very easily feel like the dice are determining the outcome of the game because they can spike really high and low. Yes. And the core set does not have very many rerolls. The core set does not yet have uh, Black Panther and Shuri that mm -hmm. start adding a lot of automatic pushes and a lot of reroll tech into your your designs. And it's it's very much been the some of their initial releases like, hey, we just want a base fun game for the experience. And then a lot of the first releases kind of add those key mechanics in, like rerolls or you know, pushes. And now you see more throwing characters. You've got Thor and Vision, and all of these things are about playing around the crisis, which is the way the game's designed. And I don't think you're getting a full feeling for the game as a tournament game unless you're experiencing all of that. Yeah. And so I think that if you're wondering, I think it's really important that you try it with some of those characters. Um, anything, have lots of throws at your disposal and be thinking about Crisis first. Now, mm -hmm. obviously, you can make dazing teams like you can make teams in this with stuff like Killmonger and things like that. And if you stack up a lot of rerolls, you absolutely could play. Uh, a crisis like uh, Gamma Wave plus plus Wakandan herbs and be mm -hmm. just, I'm going to defend my herb and <laughs> make sure that you don't take it and start scoring. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to daze characters and KO characters. And that's my goal. Mm -hmm. And you can totally mm -hmm. play that way. Yep. But that is a little bit more dicey. 
but you can still design teams to do that with rerolls. So at this point, I am feeling like this is absolutely viable as a tournament game. I'm not actually feeling enough variance in the average game that concerns me. And I mean, Magic the Gathering is a tournament game, and that game has way more variance. Yeah, the, the, the big problem, though, is, is that you play three games, right, in right. each round with Magic. That's how that kind of solves their problem. But when I'm when I'm looking at a tournament game, and I fundamentally, I, this there may be listeners that just hate me for saying this, but I'll say it anyway. I don't think Magic the Gathering is a great tournament game. When you realize your average tournament that you've got to go like six and two and you're playing best out of three to like negate enough of the variance right. to feel like you're determining who's winning. And when you start going through the first few rounds, you'll have people potentially that are two and two that may end up going on to being some of the best ranked in there. There's a lot of hard counters within a game that create almost near auto losses. There can be deck shuffles that just mean that yeah. you lose. And yeah, well, yeah, and the landlock stuff, right? Exactly. The and I do not experience that to nearly that level of variance playing Marvel Crisis Protocol. No, I think it's just the opposite. I think it's it's kind of like uh, War Machine, where you always have an out. Like I, I find, even if I'm losing, uh, if I start playing myself uh, a little smarter on the scenario and stuff like that, that I can actually pull out a win. Right, and even when I'm winning. I'm starting to look down at the table and go, there's still a way for them to come back because yeah. this yeah. character is holding two hammers. And if they just focus on that character, there's a yeah. lot hinging there. And all they need to do is spike maybe one hit or two hits above average. And that can totally change the whole game. It's it's exciting. I, I find the yeah. game pretty exciting the whole way through. Yeah. But let's go to your point where you were talking about the timing of things and the timing of games being a big restrictor and you bring up an interesting topic because clocks have been brought up what are what are your kind of initial feelings without being specific to marvel crisis protocol how do you feel about clocks and competitive gaming well i can tell you about it actually from the point of view of mcp but i won't get into the details of mcp but the point was is that we played my first crisis event in here in london I just, you know, it's got this open timing right now, and I just felt really uncomfortable about it because I was new to the game and I was thinking about stuff a lot. And um, at the same time, I didn't want to take too much time because it was, you know, enough fair to my opponent because he's just standing there. Um, and also then we have to be careful about the round time. And so I just certainly didn't want the game to go to a draw or a double loss because um, we didn't finish the game in time. So I just felt really like a fish out of water not having some sort of guide for how much time I had to actually hem and haw or how much I had to get done in any particular time. So, you know, I just, I've, you know, people think it's like uber competitive with the clock thing, but I just felt a comfort level. I felt just the opposite that I'm, I am not being competitive in this right now. And um, it's not being fair uh, to people. And I wanted that kind of, um, uh, kind of guide for myself. Does no, that, that, tot that totally makes sense. So from my perspective, my first com the first game I really wanted to play as a tournament game was Star Wars Minis. This was the Wizards of the Coast game. We're talking way back now, probably 15 years or something. Okay. And at that time, and as the game was growing as a tournament game, there was a big discussion as to whether or not chess clocks should be used. Mm. At the time, I was adamantly opposed <laughs> to it. Mm -hmm. adamantly fervently like i was yeah. so fervently opposed to it i and the weird thing is is 
it was a matter of change for me. Sure. I had never done it. I didn't. I wasn't a chess player, and I thought the idea of playing on clock was just awful. And I don't yeah. know why I felt that way exactly, but I did, and I argued it. And I won with the year, the first year that they had like true regionals. I won the largest regional in the world, and the very, very first game was a very awkward clock situation, and. I I felt like I even was pressuring my opponent a little bit where mm-hmm. uh, we were getting to a point in the turn and I was like, I knew the round time was, did not have much left. And I was kind of like, let don't him and haw too much because I still want a chance to counter this play. Yeah, exactly. And then, but basically what ended up happening was he got through with his turn. I got in just enough time to counter the play, which put me ahead by a couple of points. Yeah. And then the round ended. Yeah, and exactly. I'm like, wait a minute, is that any more fair than if mm-hmm. he had hemmed and hawed for five more minutes, and then I didn't get to do something? Yeah, because then he didn't get to counter that play, sure. and I felt really awkward about it afterwards. And so it's something that kind of stuck with me. And when I started getting ready for my first War Machine tournament, and I started practicing on clock, mm-hmm. one, I immediately found that me and my friends were getting more games in. <laughs> yeah right for sure three hour games became two hour games and then two hour games became hour and a half games mm-hmm. and it very quickly even when we just were like hanging out at my house playing some games i suddenly found that we were getting more games in and i was enjoying the game more yeah and that that pretty dramatically changed things for me now sure. i'm at a point where in general i think clocks are healthy for games because it it kind of negates some of the the stress of if you're in that situation that I was in in that tournament exactly. and you're trying to figure out, is my opponent taking too long? Am I taking too long? Uh-huh. And you have no gauge for it. It's easy to lose track of time. Mm-hmm. And then being like, do I want to be the guy who calls a mm-hmm. judge and says that someone's slow playing? Do I want to put my opponent in that position where right. they need to call a judge to determine if I'm slow playing? And that just creates awkwardness in a community where yep. you could have hard feelings. But if everybody comes to the table first and says, we have X amount of time to each play out our stuff, and that's the agreement. And if I play too long and run out of time, that's totally on me. And we agreed to that. You know, that situation beforehand. So in general, I think clocks get rid of a bunch of that animosity and stuff that can develop and that confrontation that is really unnecessary. Yeah. So so you've made a good argument for it, but let's try to be fair. Can you recall when you were against it, what were some of the reasons why you were against it? It's really hard for me to say why I was against it back then because I'd never tried it. But I will say now, once I was practicing on clocks for tournaments, mm-hmm. I definitely found it was important that certain games, especially at the game store that are not in a tournament, not be on clocks. Because one, when you're just in the game store and people come up and want to interact and like just talk about what's happening in the game and compliment people on models, or you got new people walking through the store to oh. see the game, mm-hmm. you don't want a clock pressure to be interfering with that and you need to be able to be relaxed and welcome people to the community and so there are definitely times when i'm absolutely opposed to playing on clock because i don't think it's the right environment Mm -hmm. and in it it grew over time where there were moments where i wanted to practice and see how much time i was taking with a list and where i would tell my opponent for example uh i want to 
use a clock, but we don't have to stick to it. I just need to kind of gauge how long I'm taking on my turns. We we can play out as long as right as long as we need right. to. I'm just gonna like have it over here so I can kind of keep track and so I can look after and go. Okay, I took five minutes. I took ten yep. minutes. I just yep. want to figure that out, but it has no bearing on the game whatsoever. We can pause yep. it, whatever. Yeah. So that is probably gonna be my biggest thing is knowing if you're going to play on clocks at all, when to not do it and recognize sure. that is really important. Yeah. And if you're starting to play with somebody new or whatever, you, you don't want to play, you know, you're learning the game. You don't want to play on the clock. Absolutely. I find, yeah. So, well, and I'll, uh, to throw out another negative of clock, it can be really awkward to figure out what are the situations where you can pause the clock if mm-hmm. you are going to pause, right? Yep. If you're going to allow clocks and if, like what what are the situations for pausing it because round timers and such you're trying to you know end things at a reasonable point yeah it's it's, some of these questions are hard to answer and we don't aren't going to immediately have those answers yeah and then it does become more complicated in a game where which is i go you go um like like this one as a matter of fact exactly and it it creates a situation the more times you pass a clock back and forth the more opportunities there are for it to not get clicked. <laughs> yes, that's right? it. Every time yes. you have to pass the clock back and forth, there's a chance that someone forgets to move the clock back, and then the clock is basically useless. Yeah. The moment you've had some random variance in there, and now you're like, well, what do we do about this? It's been sitting on your time for five minutes-ish. Like, how long has it been? When did we forget? Yeah. Um. And That's so, going to be the problem ultimately with yes. MCP. I think that, like I said, having a clock ultimately would be better for me, and it would, um, I think, keep people in the time better, so that you know the organizer can stick to time. Um, but the game has uh, a lot of back and forth in the first instance, and it also has some elements of the turn that are nobody's time really. Um, and so theoretically, you'd want to just pause it and do those those steps. Right, because you basically you're in a situation where every single attack, your opponent is also doing something and also making decisions. Mm-hmm. So theoretically, I don't really want to use a clock. If let's let's say hypothetically that at some point we decide that clocks are necessary, okay, I don't want to use a clock until we get to the point that everybody's rolling at the same time, because this is still I would say maybe half of the games that I play in are we are rolling attack and defense dice at the same time, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? You. You know, there's this natural of like wanting to see your opponent roll his, and so you clearly know which dice are the attack roll. And you know, you rolls yours, so your opponent can watch you roll them. And then, oh, I and see. then you've got to do the. I think there's just this natural like pause where you want to let them do their thing, and then you do your thing, even though they're kind of supposed to happen at the same time. Yeah. And how do you how do you resolve that on a clock? Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay. We're both supposed to be rolling, but now I can't move forward with my modification because you're, and, but it's such a small time period. You don't right. want to be switching the clock for that. Right. Um, and so I think everyone needs to kind of get in a good habit of, all right, I roll my attack dice. You're rolling your defense dice at the same time. Yeah. But how, how do you start when you have to make hard decisions, obviously say I'm attacking with Modoc, right? And okay. I've made my attack rolls. I've looked at your defense rolls. I've gotten a, I now, you know, I've done my crits, et cetera. Now I got to decide how many dice I'm re-rolling and that sort of thing. Or you got a character like Black Panther where you've got Mantle of the Black Panther. You've got Shuri re-rolls. You've got, you know, his uh, leadership. You've got so many re-rolls to think about. And obviously it should be on my clock while I'm thinking about all that kind of stuff. 
But then it becomes like, okay, I've done my part. And if they have no rerolls, you really shouldn't be switching the clock over. But there needs to be that um, that conversation where, yes, yeah, switch the clock to me. Um, or, you know, somebody kind of hanging with their hand over by it. Like, do you want to do any rerolling? And give them a chance to think it out. But there's going to be a lot of etiquette to this that I'm I'm not really sure how to do. I totally agree. That That is going to be the issue. Some of it is actually pretty straightforward about, you know, okay, I got, I got to think about whether I want to react to this in some fashion. And, you know, right. Someone declares an attack on Loki and you're like, pass the clock to me. Uh, I need to think about Trickster. Right. Exactly. Right. But then there are those things, like you said, where you roll the dice together and then somebody could possibly modify one or two of those dice uh, with their ability. And so it gets a little weird um, about that. Uh, but, you know, on the other hand, this game is supposed to be a little bit lighter. So maybe as a community, we could actually find a way to, to work together on what's acceptable, what's not acceptable when it comes like that. Because ultimately, I just don't I, I see these games so far. I don't know about you, but um, they easily can go into the 90-minute um, realm, yeah. and that's supposed to be the end of the round, uh, and you got to keep time. And so I think some people would easily play two hours, uh, and it's just not acceptable. So I don't – you know, people may poo-poo using a clock because of some of these things we're talking about, but I don't see them coming up with some ways to manage this – problem of going over time except to say oh well they should just shouldn't do that you know it's a game kind of a thing which is just not a, not a good answer right and so the hard part is is i do think integrating a clock will be challenging but it is the healthiest way to run any event whether it's a casual event or it's a tournament event if you're doing something and you want to have a round and like okay this is who's playing who right and then you want to get in the next game and you kind of have to have a timeline for that and the reality is, is different players play at different speeds. And I 100% speed up when I'm playing on clock and can see how long I'm taking. And I visually have that recognition. Like, for example, uh, I clocked in a really important game at TempleCon uh, my first year there. And at the time, they were using analog clocks. And I can absolutely read an analog clock, but it is definitely not as easy for me to just glance over at an analog clock for a quick moment and know how much time I have left versus just seeing it on a digital clock. And that for me is really important. I do like to look over and go, okay, this is about how much time I've taken and recognize it's been more than five minutes. I just need to make a decision one way or another good or bad. I just need to make it and move on because otherwise I'm just sitting here doing nothing. And that's not fun for anyone. Yes, this is it. So, you don't want to run the clock out, you know? Right. So I think the important thing is, is for all players, especially if you have a tournament mindset, let's say not, I try not to use the word competitive because I think a lot of people associate it with, I want to win more than I enjoy playing the game where I yeah. want that feeling of winning. Yeah. But for me, that's not what tournament games are about. For me, I have a I call it a tournament mindset because for me, I just want to I want you and I to sit down to a game. We have both agreed to play the best game that we can. Yeah. And we're going to test each other's mental yeah. prowess, right? Yeah. We brought whatever we think is best. We're going to play it the best way they can and we're going to see who comes out on top, who responds to these situations better, who adapts to each other's strategy better, and then we're just going to see what happens. And that's the feeling that I want. It's not about winning, it's about testing the yeah testing the mental acumen right and that's for me that's different than the the competitive mindset where you're just like i just want to win yeah and 
those are very different things. And so I'm trying to say kind of a tournament mindset to get those sort of games and experiences in. And MCP absolutely supports that. I have loved the games that I've gotten some really close, interesting games and yeah, Marvel crisis sure. protocol tends to be closer than a lot of other games, which makes me like it more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and rewards smart play. Which exactly. Is the best part, you know, and it can, it can also reward some very superhero plays, right? Where sometimes <laughs> you're just like, the right thing to do in this situation is to have Spider-Man swoop in, punch mm-hmm. this guy real quick, pick up the item, pull this other guy out of position, and then swing away. Like, mm-hmm. you just end up with these moments where you're like, that was the most superhero thing I could possibly yep. imagine. <laughs> so true. Uh, that was the part that surprised me about the game is, is how uh, I actually felt pretty cinematic about it. Okay, 100%, you know, 100%. Are you going to try it with a clock? Or are you going to try it? I think at some point I definitely need to just to speed up yeah. games and be resolving them quicker. But I think in general, even without clocks, I think it's just important for all of us to try to be mindful of how much time that we're taking and not spend a bunch of time doing nothing mm-hmm. and kind of keep an idea how long are these games taking. And if you spent more than two hours on your average game, mm-hmm. you probably need to be playing a bit quicker. And you're you're probably wasting some time that you shouldn't be. Yeah. And decisiveness is not a strength of everyone. <laughs> and in particular, this game, more so than, say, something like War Machine and Hordes, where you have usually a good five to ten minutes where you're just seeing your opponent play out stuff. And so you're planning what you're going to do in rebuttal. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You don't have that in this. Because no. you, you one thing happens, and then you have to see how it resolves. And then as soon as it's done resolving, you're like, now what do I do? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. What like this did not go the way I thought it was going to go (laughs) happens a lot. And you have to improvise in that moment, which makes me love the game because I'm an adaptive, like improvisational player where I, I am good at adapting in situations. And so I love it, but it can be a little time consuming to figure out all your plans. Yeah, for sure. Especially with these characters, because they do have a lot of many of them have lots of abilities. Yeah, you get someone like Venom when you're like, I can mm. double attack, I can move and throw this guy, I can mm-hmm. move, throw, and pull this guy, I can mm. make one attack. Like so yeah. many things, so many ways, so many different avenues. And since the movement is so integral to this game, so yeah. What about so you? Are, where are you settling on the whole clock thing? Uh, I am um, still trying to understand the game well enough to not need a clock. I mean, to you know. Um, feel like i could be on a clock but i definitely want to start trying it at least to help me understand like where it might work where it might not work and um move the game along so i can my goal is because i only can play after work on a weeknight my goal is to try to make these games fast enough so i can get two games in a night which is kind of the attraction compared to war machine um but that's not going to happen without a clock yeah, I'm not going to play with a clock just yet because we still – I don't want to do anything that discourages growth in the community. Yeah. But I am trying to be more mindful of how long I'm wasting and yep. be more decisive and get in enough games where I can be more decisive. And then I'm going to kind of go from there and see how I feel. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in the same place. All right, so I have one more thing that I would like us to talk about today, and this is a big part of why I dragged you on, kicking and screaming, <laughs> mind you. Uh <laughs> Uh, you were very heavily involved in creating the World Team Championship, which henceforth we are referring to as WTC. Yeah. Right? I think that's fair to say. That was a big part, Dr. Norbert. Yes, definitely with a bunch of other people as well, but I was there right from the beginning. 
when I recorded my episodes with Jacob Collins, we in the behind the scenes, there's this moment where all of a sudden we're like, what would Marvel Crisis Protocol be like <laughs> in a WTC format? So this is a team format for the listeners. Yeah. Normally speaking, it's a format of five players and there are some restrictions that go into what sort of teams that you can bring. And then there's a lot of strategizing and which teams do you bring to try to counter the things that your opponent can do. And there's an element during the matchup process where you're deciding where you have input and strategy into which player plays which player. Yes. And that so there's not just I brought three random people and now we're playing against three random people and we both play games and then it's, you know, whoever gets the most wins wins. There's an actual team strategy component that goes above the one v one experience. Yep. Yep. And it, so it's actually, just to say it a different way, it goes into how you build your team becomes, you know, of the, of the five or three players is exactly. a bit of a strategic exercise. And then it's the pairing process. So how do you pair people uh, against the other team that you come across in any particular round? Yep. So to just start off with an example, this isn't the WTC format, but the first time I did a team tournament in War Machine, it was just basically you assigned three positions, you know, basically one, two, yeah. three, and yeah. then your other team had a one, two, and three. The ones play against the ones, the twos play against the twos, the threes play against the threes. And that's fun. And you get, you know, I believe it was like kind of one veto per tournament, mm-hmm. and yep. you could reshuffle things. Um, yep. And both teams could veto on the same spot, so there's no change. Um, and that's fine. It's still fun. And I think you obviously can do that for Marvel Crisis Protocol, right? There's, there's no reason you couldn't run an event that way. Yeah, absolutely. You, you, but the problem is, is that you lose all those other strategic high-level high uh, aspects to the process. Well, I wouldn't say you're losing it, but I would say if we move on to a WTC format, you're gaining those yeah. aspects, right? Sure. So it's not like those aspects existed in 1v1 anyway. So, but let's say a store wants to start off and they want to run a team event. They could absolutely just do that format, you know, three V three, you have your team ones, play ones, et cetera. Yep. But say you want that additional component where there is a planning level in it, where you're, you know, there's some restrictions on team buildings. And so let's, let's talk about a couple of options for what you could do. You could do no character crossover, between your teammates right so let's yeah. say you me and um we're gonna say jvm i just want to talk about him for a minute <laughs> let's say you me and jvm make a team now i don't even think he's playing marvel crisis protocol but none of our rosters could share a character right. that would be one possibility and so we've got to strategize between us who needs shuri who needs modok who needs black panther that sort of thing yep and that would factor into our team design and it would affect which opponent we would potentially want, right? Yes. But you can't do that just yet because there's not 30 characters. Well, but there's a fair number. I mean, We're at 27, I believe. So we're almost there. A couple months from now, you could absolutely do this if you wanted to. Gotcha. Okay, yeah, sure. But I'm not necessarily sure that's the optimal route, but you absolutely could, and it would be interesting at the very least. Yeah, unless you limit how many characters people should bring. Yeah, I'm not sure you'd want to... I would want to keep it as close as possible to the normal format. Sure, me too. But just, like, add a roster restriction, like no duplicate characters across the team, something like that. But 
Um, it might be easier to just restrict an affiliation, mm-hmm. right? Where you um, say each roster can only have a single affiliation, or oh, you can okay. only build to one specific affiliation, and then your your team has to all be different affiliations. Like you'd have Asgard, yep. Avengers, and Wakanda. That's your three affiliations. There could be crossover. Like you could bring Thor on the Avengers team, but that Avengers team cannot play. Thor as its leader and choose to play as guardians. Right. Yep. That might be the easiest route, right? I think so. Um, you might consider just no repeated affiliations period. So you could have a dual affiliation list, but that would just wipe out two affiliations um, on one player. If, yeah. Yeah. But, and again, but that runs into that same problem you just mentioned where there's not that many affiliations yet. Right. But even now, let's see, we're at, we're at Four right now with Guardians basically being the fifth and being partially released and being possible. Mm-hmm. And we have three more affiliations or like quickly on the horizon. We have okay, Blackguard, yeah. we have Defenders and Spider-Foes. Uh, yeah, you could do All, it then. Yeah, I think that would out, that might be the best route where you just say you can build your rosters totally normally, but no duplicate affiliations. And so... You could have Wakanda plus Avengers and Cabal plus Asgardians and Guardians of the Galaxy plus Blackguard or whatever. Right. But no, no, uh, none of the team members can both be able to play Avengers. Yeah, which which is pretty cool because that kind of speaks to having like you know um, unique char- uh, captains on the f- in the field. Exactly, and you could still, if there's really fundamentally important characters like. Shuri is a great example, right? It doesn't create a situation where only one person can use Shuri, which if she's a really important counter or say, let's use Captain Marvel as an example. Say you got, oh, my opponent's bringing origin bombs, deadly meteors, and I would usually love having Captain Marvel in this crisis, but I couldn't bring Captain Marvel because of the character restriction format. That could create awkward problems. So I think the no no affiliation crossover is probably all you need to start a team format. Totally agree. And I, it'd be really interesting to see how people react to that problem. Like, in fact, what does that... might be too, too meta to talk about this, but what what is it about those different affiliations that you would try to build your team around um, to make, you, you know... It, what am I trying? I'm trying to say is, is that you, you know, if you had these different affiliations, do like does each affiliation like fill a different role on the team? You know, can you build them like that, yeah. uh, such that that you know you, they become a tool that you you have to try to match up against the opponents? So, for example, I think this will play into the crisis cards, where I think Asgard and Avengers are a little bit better at playing into deadly meteors than say Wakanda generally is. Wakanda prefers the more normal secures like Serum and Extremist Console, where their pushes are really, really impactful. But the pushes are so much less impactful in Deadly Meteors that that could be something that you want to balance could uh, could heavily impact a team format like this. Yep, exactly. So these are now we're getting into how why this team format would be interesting because you have to start talking this over with your your teammates and deciding how how you're building these affiliations to fit a certain role within a team with complementary type people or you know complementary affiliations. I love as someone who you know went to the WTC one year. I love the idea of doing this, and I I have no idea how far out we'd ever be from having a tournament 
like this, but I am loving the idea of having two of my buddies and we sit down and go, who's taking which roster, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And instinctively right now, I love playing Wakanda and I'm super jazzed about Guardians. And now, obviously, I haven't seen all the Guardians characters, but we could very easily see like these are the these are the rosters I specialize in, but I have access to all of them. And it would be it would be more easily done in this game than some others like say Warhammer or War Machine where people don't own every faction. I think it's going to be a lot more common for me to have access to almost every model where all of a sudden the team's like we need you to play Blackguard. That this fills the gap in our team and like okay cool I'm only missing one of those models so I'll pick it up and I'll start practicing with them. Oh I see from you're saying from actual ownership point of view how how, um, much easier this would be. Yeah 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 sure. Oh yeah easily. Well you have more play crossover even if you've never played as Guardians there's a strong possibility that you've still played Thor and Loki and Valkyrie a fair amount. Mm-hmm. And so then you're just taking what you've learned playing those models and then changing the affiliation. It is a little bit easier for people to try out something just a little bit outside of their wheelhouse. Yeah. You're thinking right now, especially because of the use of the of the game, three players is probably where, where it's at for now. Yeah, I was debating three players versus five. And in the normal WTC format with War Machine, I definitely feel like five players is way better than three players. Yeah, and for sure. It, it almost doesn't function as a three-player format. Mm. But I'm wondering if it's going to be a bit more subtle in this in MCP where three, like a three player team might actually be viable because I don't feel like there's going to be as many hard counter. Like my roster is going to really struggle playing against that roster. Mm -hmm. And -hmm. it's going to be a lot more subtle decision-making about which player plays, which player and how they complement the team may be a bit different in this game. Yeah, and that's the thing. The game is so new. It's the depth is so great that it's very hard to already start making some of these decisions. Yeah, we don't really know play. how far the hole goes yet. We're still digging. <laughs> yeah, haven't hit uh, water yet. Exactly. So the other, like, instead of just like restricting the um, affiliations of rosters, you okay. could just say no affiliated card crossover, which would be kind of interesting. Like, for I example, yeah. you could. You could have multiple people playing Avengers, but one person who plays Avengers can't bring Avengers Assemble. Right, got it. Right, and you could expand it to the characters as well and say everyone can take Hulk, but only one player can bring Gamma Launch. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. I I wonder, are there enough of those sort of cards to make those decisions interesting? Absolutely. I would say 100%. I find, for example, Venom. uh, I don't like playing Venom without Lethal Protector. Mm, And I do think Venom is really interesting. And so you may have some discussion of who wants to play Venom with Lethal Protector. And then do the other players still want to include Venom without it? Does it Mm. fit into their plan? Or does the Venom now fall down a notch and he doesn't make the roster? That could be a very interesting thought process. (laughs) And it also kind of pseudo creates a situation where you're not you're you're not going to have multiple Asgardian rosters in that situation. I think if you're going to play Asgardians, you want Odin's blessing. Mm -hmm. So you're probably not going to have a second person even elect to choose Asgardians if they can't take Odin's blessing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but that could be um, another simple approach to restricting the team to make that interesting. Okay. The last bit about all this then is how you do the actual pairings. 
process on the table. Now, you mentioned three-player events being not as good in War Machine, uh, and I think that was much more true in the past, but now that we've settled on this new German-style pairing process, have you have you played this one yet? I have not. So, oh, okay. what, what is... Explain this process. <laughs> okay, so it's three players, okay? You, you roll a die to see... And there's three tables, right? Yeah. You roll a die to see... Uh, which team gets the table on the left? It's it's essentially arbitrary, but you have to pick it. So that's how you pick yeah. it. Okay. Uh, you exchange lists so you see what everybody has. Then you give those lists back. And then you confer. And you let's say my team won uh, the left-hand table. I'm going to take my three lists. I'm going to pick one of my players and put him face down on my left-hand side table. Okay. okay? So you got player A is face down. Yes. Right? Okay. You you being the opponent captain, are doing yep. the same. So you take one of your players and put it face down on your left-hand side table. Okay. okay. So let's play my player one is face down on that yep. table. Yep. Okay. Then we reveal. Okay. Okay. So we, so we both yep. revealed. So we see that there's player A and player one on that table at the moment. Uh, uh, yeah. So on, on either end of this sequence of three tables, right? Okay. Yeah. So now I'm going to give you my two lists, the leftover ones, and yep. I'm going to take I'm going to take yours. Now, I decide uh, secretly which one of my two opponents in my hand, which one I'm going to pair against uh, the guy who's already on the table on the left. Okay, so say you're, you're looking at my two team rosters, and you yeah, have like, player two and player three. Right. And now you're trying to decide whether player two or player three is going to face off against your player A? Correct, correct. Okay. Uh, so essentially, that should be your favorable matchup, because you can decide. Yeah. And then you put uh, the leftover one, the last one, on the middle table. And your opponents are doing the same. And once that's done, then you reveal. And that's the, how the matchups are made. So you basically have a game where you can decide how much of a favorable matchup do I want to have? And how much flexibility am I giving up? And also then the, the, the middle table is the one that's completely up in the air. Because it really depends on what kind of strategy the other captains have taken with how they're putting down the, the lists. I'm down. Let's do it. I'm yeah. in. It yeah. works really well. I still think five players is uh, better, no doubt. But three players is a much easier type of team event to organize. You know, you need fewer players. Um, it's a little faster. Uh, and this one gives just the right amount of a strategic aspect to it, considering that you don't have a lot of choices to make when it's only three players. Nope. Totally get it. So I'm going to summarize this real quick for the listeners, and you can tell me if i am gotten this correct. Okay, so, go for it. We have table one, two, and three. Mm-hmm. I put down invisible my player A on table one. Then my opponent, the captain on that team, puts down their player A on table three. Yes. And so there's those are invisible mm-hmm. at the moment. Now both of them are revealed. Yep. And then I get to decide from player two and player three of my opponent's side which one of those plays against my player one. Mm-hmm. The opposing team does the same. And mm-hmm. whatever that... The, whatever the uh, the players are that are left out of that, they face on the middle table. Correct. Okay. I'm down. I like it. I think this would work particularly well in Marvel Crisis Protocol, especially if there's some sort of restriction on the roster creation. Mm-hmm. Let's just say yeah. hypothetically no um, no crossover affiliations. Let's say yep. that's the simple, simple route. Yep. And we can kind of go, oh, okay, this roster, since it seems like it's going to, it doesn't have a, it doesn't have vision 
Black Widow, cross uh, crossbones, and so it's really susceptible to pushing tech. So yes. great, that's perfect. Let's have our Wakanda player play against this person. They have mm-hmm. tons of pushing tech. Mm-hmm. Boom! This this is an advantage situation. Yes. And then maybe on the flip side, you know, they're going, well, we've got our super brawly team with Hulk and Thor and Captain America, and they've got a kind of a fragile shooting team over here. And we think we could just like slam into them and crush their, you know, <laughs> their range team with our brawliness. And so we want that matchup. And then the other two in the middle are like, let's see what happens. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and exactly. And you can also try to think about coming coming up with an all comers list. And that all comers list is the one that you put down all the time first, for instance, because then you don't have to worry about getting um, um, outclassed somehow. Um, And I want to mention this, too. Um, I I feel I don't think this is happening yet in our community, but I feel for tournaments, you would want to have quite a bit of variety of terrain. I don't just mean different types of pieces of terrain, but rather maybe one table being very dense, maybe one table having lots of density on one side, but not all on the other side, or maybe one quite open, for instance. So now you should also have to think about which table do you want, not just because of the matchup process that we're talking about, but also because of how your team might perform in that um, terrain environment. Absolutely agree that there should be some difference. I'm not sure if I want to see tables that have light terrain, but Mm. maybe you could have tables where certain tables have more size four and size five or more things that can't be moved. Okay. And then you have other tables that are very throw heavy where there's lots of twos, lots of threes, and almost everything can be thrown. Yeah. You could still have some variety in there, but I think, I think a fair amount of terrain is probably important for MCP. Yeah. No, I think you're on the right track. Definitely. Okay. Well, Norbert, this has been a super fun conversation. I hope the listeners enjoyed this as much as I have, because I I think this is a super interesting conversation. I know. I I really hope it engenders a lot of enthusiasm in the community and we start seeing people trying some of these concepts out. Yeah. Uh, So, listeners, if you go out and try one of these team formats, I absolutely want to hear about what your thoughts were and how it played out and what you thought about it, because this, this just seems super fun to me. And I mean, we're playing games, right? It's all about fun. (laughs) Absolutely. All right. Well, uh, listeners, obviously, as per usual, uh, I like to drag on a host and then make them record a bonus episode with me. So if you're following on Patreon and you want to keep supporting, uh, Norbert and I are going to have a single affiliation versus multi-affiliation roster discussion and (laughs) see what our thoughts are on that. So if you are supporting, they're only a buck an episode. Um, Check it out. Hope that's as fun as this one was. But Norbert, you're absolutely going to have to come on again because this was a blast. I love talking tactics with you. Yeah, it was great. It was really kind of getting the juices flowing, wasn't it? Um, And gosh, we need to get a game in somehow. (laughs) Yeah, I was actually really hoping that we would get to play at Adepticon, but things did not work out that way. Yes. Yeah, I'm I'm eyeing up uh, Warfare Weekend. I don't know if that's in your cards. Uh, It probably is. I would be really surprised Mm -hmm. if I don't make it out there. So we we could absolutely make that happen. Amazing. Um, One way or another, but... All right, listeners, uh, I'm going to wrap up this episode. Again, huge thanks to Dr. Norbert. Huge thanks to all of the Patreon supporters that are helping me keep this podcast juice flowing. And who knows, whatever you come up with for this team format, uh, maybe one of those team ideas will just be too OP. (laughs) 